Well, we're going to kick off our new series, the Acts uh, in the Book of Acts, and we're going to cover Acts chapter one, verses one through eleven this morning. Would you give your full attention to the reading of God's Word? In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, "You heard from me, for John baptized with water." But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, "Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel?" He said to them, "It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth." And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, "Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven." This is the reading of God's holy word. Let's give our full attention now to the preaching of His word. Thank you, thank you for the reading of God's word. Good morning to CCSE. As we officially launch a sermon series into the Book of Acts, today we're going to talk about a couple of things: the ascension of Jesus, second, the reception of the Holy Spirit. Okay, the ascension, and then the reception of the Holy Spirit. Church history makes us look back at what people did. The Holy Spirit, if He is alive and well and moving in our midst, He's going to make us look at what we can do. Okay, students of history, you can gain information and lessons. The Holy Spirit makes His people fulfill a God-given mission. A God-given mission. I want to pray for both: some history, and of course, moreover. The person, the work, the power, the movement of the Holy Spirit. History first. Just a little bit of history here. How did Christianity launch? Chapter one, verse one. According to Luke, the author, it began with what Jesus did and taught. Luke said in his gospel, entitled with his own name, the Gospel of Luke, he said, "I began to teach you. I began to share with you. I began to write down." Some of the things that Jesus did and taught. Well, Acts is part two. Okay, Acts is the sequel. John Calvin, that renowned theologian, called the words and the works of Jesus Christ a holy knot. A holy knot are the words and the works of Jesus Christ. What do you mean by mean by this? It means they belong together. They are intertwined. 
They are joined together. Because if you have one without the other, you actually don't have Christianity. You don't have real, authentic Christianity. Uh, There are a lot of people who study and research and admire uh, the legacy and the works of Jesus Christ. Uh, I think it's beyond dispute. He has goat status in terms of influence and fame and a lot of things that he did or stood for. Uh, Look at the works of Jesus, how he treated the most marginalized, the people who would never feel like they could belong. He welcomed them in. How he turned over social and political and economic and political uh, divisions. How Jesus healed the sick. How he fed the hungry and the poor. A lot of people admire and even try to copy the works of Jesus. But you can dismiss and despise his words. You can just like the works of Jesus, but you don't like his words. Well, some of the words of Jesus on public record which actually led to his public crucifixion 2,000 years ago Jesus said things like I was with God at creation I saw Satan fall I saw the origins of Satan the devil before Abraham a religious Jewish heralded saint I am I'm going to come back and judge everything and everyone How about this? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. Meaning he refers to God as his his Father. No one's going to get to my Father. No one's going to meet or experience and enjoy my Father who happens to be God except through me. Hmm. The words and the works of Jesus belong together. You can't take out one without the other because as you believe and obey his words you experience his work some of you only like his words but you never do his work but as you do his work you actually experience his words his word strengthens his word is shared his word is spread look at the first three verses again as luke introduces This book to us, part two of the gospel. In the first book, oh, Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus again began to do and teach. Here's part two, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given a command to the Holy Spirit, to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Luke was a highly trained doctor, but he actually acts like a highly careful investigative reporter. His Greek here is articulate, orderly. It is fashioned in such a way that you get no sense of, oh, he's just trying to pass along fluff or fancy. No, he says, I want to give away proofs. I want to pass along verifiable words and works of this Jesus Christ. And from the start to the question of how did Christianity launch? How was it birthed? Luke highlights the most important word and work Jesus ever did. And what would that be? 
if you're being introduced to what is Christianity really all about, well, it's all about the words and works of Jesus. Well, tell me the most important word and work of Jesus that he ever did. Here's Luke's answer. Jesus said, he predicted, he claimed that he would rise from the dead, and then he proved it. He did it. The most world-changing, monumental, foundational thing to Christianity is Jesus taught, and then he performed and proved that he could beat death. He got up from death. Luke, a medical doctor, says he appeared for like 40 days. That's an estimation, probably a rounded off number. 40 days. He spoke with people. He touched people. People touched him. They could smell him. He prepared and ate breakfast with people. He was alive and vivid and concrete and real as real can be. Oh, my friends, O Theophilus, I'm writing this book so I can pass along History, verifiable events, proven things about what Jesus said and did. And of course, in verses 9 through 11, not only did we see him alive and well, some people just watched him as he was caught up in the clouds and he ascended into heaven to assume his position at the right hand of God the Father. So, as we get into the book of Acts, or if you happen to be interested or curious at all about what Christianity is really about, I want you to pay first and most attention to this. Did Jesus Christ really rise from death? Did he rise from death? Do you know anybody else who beat death? Did Jesus Christ overcome death? If he didn't, go on with your life. Why are you here? What are you doing here? Go on with your life. But if he did rise from death, if this is history, this is factual, this is physical and body, like he really rose from death and he had many, many proofs. How can you keep him out of your life? And back in Easter 2005, a secular historian who wrote for Newsweek said after examining and studying all the historical data surrounding the explosion of Christianity around this time, Easter 2,000 years ago, he says, I have no better alternative explanation than that Jesus probably resurrected from the dead. That's a secular non-believing historian. And here's what the historian is actually trying to tell us. He says, there's no other explanation that makes sense. He is not saying, well, I believe that Jesus rose from death. He's actually just claiming and admitting this, though. I know that people back then believed and saw and touched, and they were willing to actually suffer for this Jesus who rose from death. I'll put it this way. I know a lot of you are still very, very iffy about this. Let's be frank. doesn't matter how long you've gone to church. Would this be something that you could stake your life on? Is this something that you could actually live for? Is the resurrection of Jesus something that your whole life revolves around? Like it shapes you. You don't try to shape him. He defines you. You're not trying to defining what Christianity is all about. Look, did Jesus really rise from death? And I want you to imagine with me this morning 
what would it take for you to be absolutely convinced? What proof? Think about it. All right, you have it? In your mind, you're playing. Well, pastor, I think if this happened, oh, then I, I mean, from this morning on, there's no, no going back. There's no regression. That's just verifiable proof that he actually rose from death. All right. So whatever it would take for you to be convinced by proofs that Jesus rose from death, I want to tell you unequivocally, whatever it would take for you to believe that Jesus rose from the dead happened to them. Who's them? The first early believers. It definitely happened to them. Because here's why. They're willing to live and die for the reality that Jesus beat death. All right, so here's the history. That's a little bit of history. What is Christianity all about? How did it begin? The words and the works of Jesus. Jesus said he'd rise from death, and then he proved it. The history to Christianity is both verifiable, and of course, it's supernatural. It's steeped in concrete reality, and yeah, it has something to do with God. I want to tell you as we move on, something supernatural can happen to you. Something supernatural can happen to you. It's found in the person of the Holy Spirit. The person of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you know, Luke is not uh, just passing along uh, some, here, here's some lessons, some inspiration from church history. He himself, he himself did not stop at becoming a historian of Christianity. He was moved and he entered a whole other dimension. You might call it a supernatural realm by the movement of the Holy Spirit. A hundred years after Dr. Luke died, this is what was written of him. Quote, Luke was an Antiochian Syrian, a doctor by profession, a disciple of the apostles. Later, however, he followed Paul, the apostle Paul. The majority of the book of Acts is going to be about this foremost missionary apostle Paul. They were close companions. Later, however, Luke followed Paul until his martyrdom. Serving the Lord blamelessly. Faithful, godly man. He never had a wife. He never fathered children. And he died at the age of 84. Full of the Holy Spirit. He died at the age of 84. Full of the Holy Spirit. That last part, that last description, that's everything. That really is everything. Oh, I hope that I would be an evidence or an exhibition of a life filled with the Holy Spirit. Would this describe you? Full of the Holy Spirit. Again, Non-believers study, admire, they can even applaud Jesus. But only believers are the Holy Spirit experience Jesus. Non-believers will always look and admire Jesus from some distance. Only real believers who get the person of the Holy Spirit you experience him. You experience him. How? 
How do you receive the Holy Spirit? Verses 4 and 5, it says, wait, wait, wait. You got to wait here. Because just as John baptized you, now you're going to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. That language is the Holy Spirit baptism immersion. You're just gonna, the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out. Poured out. And that was the one and only time in all of human history that people would have to wait to receive the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus had just gotten up from death. And he had just ascended into heaven. And it's after his ascension that we get to receive the Holy Spirit. Now there's no more waiting around. No, not at all. I'm not making this up. Here's how you receive the Holy Spirit. Apostle Peter, who preached in the next chapter, chapter 2. Look at verse 38. Here's what he preached. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. No more waiting around. You can receive the supernatural person of the Holy Spirit, when you turn away from living for yourself, you see that Jesus lived and died for you, and by faith, he becomes your substitute savior. You say, I need you to lead me, take over my life. And when you pray that, the Holy Spirit comes rushing in. And you receive the person of the Holy Spirit. Oh, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. You know, sad to say that a lot of people who are very uncomfortable and confused and maybe turn off by this subject, every time it is mentioned, you know, you've had some bad experience at the local out-of-your-mind Bible church. You know, the out-of-your-mind Bible church? I've had some experiences at the out-of-your-mind Bible church. There's some false promises made about the Holy Spirit. There's really loud and long and hyper practices about the Holy Spirit. Yes, frankly, there are misuses. There's a bad sales pitch. There's some fraud. There might be actually just misuses about the Holy Spirit. Sometimes at the out-of-your-mind Bible church, it seems to me that the Holy Spirit is like a genie on demand. The Holy Spirit should just produce signs and wonders and miracles and healings as long as you have enough faith not quite sure if that's really the whole person of the holy spirit then if you've been to or maybe are still going to the bible is only for your mind church if you prefer and you only like well the bible of course is only for my mind i mean everything about god has got to be rational Manageable, predictable, controllable. Who is the person of the Holy Spirit? What does it look like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? How do you have a Holy Spirit-led, filled, moved life? You don't have to look anywhere else. The only person who was perfectly and continually led and moved and filled by the Holy Spirit was Jesus Christ himself. Look at Jesus. And you'll see that he never fits into either of those kinds of caricatures of the churches. But you're going to see what the person of the Holy Spirit is really like. Here, let me give you one example. At the baptism of Jesus Christ, as he's coming up out of the water, a voice booms out of heaven. Behold, this is my son. A voice out of heaven <laughs> declares, this is my son, announces, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And as Jesus, the son, comes out of the water, a dove descends upon him. And the gospel authors tell us that was the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove. Evidently, at the baptism of Jesus, there are three different distinct persons. God the Father, who makes the announcement. 
Jesus Christ the Son who is being baptized, and then the Holy Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Three distinct different persons. However, they've had no tension, no friction, no falling out, no jealousy, no competition, no selfish ambition. It is the happiest, holiest, forever community that all people were made to enjoy. It is the perfect social trinity community, unity and diversity that all people ache for to this day. Meaning, The Father is God, Jesus Christ the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit also is God. The Holy Spirit is God. He's a person. The Holy Spirit is equal with God, but different. That means the Holy Spirit is sovereign, majestic, infinite, eternal, all-powerful, The Holy Spirit can never be manipulated, commanded. He's never on demand. It's like that the Holy Spirit, you can throw him around or get a little portion of him. At the same time, the Holy Spirit is God, is God. Your little mind and my little mind and our comfort zones and our predictabilities and our plans and goals and metrics cannot ever contain him. You cannot orchestrate down to the last minute or second as to how the Holy Spirit should work. You can't map out into the next 10 years, oh, I think this is how God should work. And if he doesn't fit into my plan, it must be God must have abandoned me. Oh, the person of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit who is God is also also personal. Personal. Did you know that you and I can grieve the Holy Spirit? That's the language is used, grieve. You know, you're always loved, but did you know that you can really upset, nauseate? Like God is not happy with you? You can grieve the Holy Spirit? How? In willful sin. Did you know that churches... You and I can quench and resist. It's almost like the Holy Spirit has gone missing at the Bible is only for your mind, church. Because we sideline him, we relegate him. He's nowhere to be found. How? Again, because you tell the Holy Spirit, well, I just don't think you should ever work this way. And what the Holy Spirit, who is so personal, can be quenched or resisted through hardness, unbelief, cynicism, and just going about ways that we find most comfortable to us oh but look at jesus look at jesus look at the life of jesus why is it that the holy spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove at his baptism because everything jesus would ever do from that point on was absolutely needful of the person of the holy spirit everything he taught everyone he touched everywhere he traveled all the temptations jesus overcame The times he would rejoice and party. The times he would weep and mourn. The times he would cast out demons. The times he would go to sleep. The times he would wake up in the morning and go pray to be with his father. All of that was continually and perfectly led and moved and filled by the person of the Holy Spirit. For one ultimate primary purpose. 
history, and then the supernatural. If you want to become a Christian, you want to grow in Christianity, you better, you have to have history. You better have verifiable events, facts. It's not fantasy to you. But then you also need the person of the Holy Spirit. Last part, the power and purpose of the Holy Spirit. The power and purpose of the Holy Spirit. Look at this in chapter 1, verse 8. This announcement. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You will receive power, supernatural power, when the Holy Spirit, who is co-equal with God, comes upon you for what? To do what? To accomplish what? To have your whole life really be about what? To be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit's going to give you power to be mine. God says, I want you to be mine and I want you to be my witness. The Holy Spirit gives you power for what purpose? To accomplish his mission, not yours. The Holy Spirit gives you power to do what? To accomplish what? His mission, not yours. The Holy Spirit is about his mission, not your mission. To be what? My witnesses. And you're not going to like the word that this comes from. It actually comes with the word martyr. The Holy Spirit, his presence, and then he empowers you, gives you supernatural power. Of course, who doesn't need power? To do what? To become a martyr. Now, this word martyr, which is translated into witnesses in English, doesn't mean, obviously, that you have to literally physically die for your faith. But it does mean, it certainly does mean, an uncompromising willingness to speak and to share, to show and to serve, and to maybe suffer for the sake of Jesus because you are a witness of Jesus. Why does the Holy Spirit want to give you power? For his purpose, his mission, not yours. His mission is that you would not keep everything personal and private. His mission is not that the Holy Spirit just does things for you internally. His mission is that you would be thrown out and become a public global, even to the end of the earth. That's what he said. Even to the end. Are you ever really willing and committed to that? Has that never even been an option for you? He will empower you to be public, global witness so that people can meet the risen Jesus Christ. What is the Holy Spirit obsessed about most? Hmm. Let's clear all the confusions away. What's the most important thing the Holy Spirit is about? What does the Holy Spirit love to do most in all the world? You know what it would be? It'd be to center Jesus. It'd be to exalt Jesus. The Holy Spirit is obsessed about bringing people to Jesus. And that's why the Holy Spirit gives power to anyone else who's obsessed about that too. 
That's his mission. This is the mission of God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit who's been poured out. You know, all businesses, possibly every organization in the world, has to come up with mission statements. Mission statements, again, is the specific how you go about accomplishing your vision. It's the how-to plan of what you do, your business plan of how you're going to reach this goal. Great. It's wonderful. Now, if you happen to be a Christian today, if you happen to be a student and a follower of Jesus Christ who's risen from the dead, did you know you have no business coming up with your own mission statement? If you have received the Holy Spirit, oh yeah, you can have the Holy Spirit. But you're always like, hey, tamp down on the power there. I actually don't want to use you. I don't want you to use me. I don't want to have the full thrill, the full experience of this whole thing, all right? You have no business coming to the mission statement. It's actually been given. It's been God-given. There are too many people. Oh, man, it's so true. Myself, there are just too many people who use God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit to accomplish your own mission. Hmm? You want to retire early? You want your kids to be awesome at everything? You want to fix your marriage? You want to have the most fulfilling romance? You got to make a lot more money. You want to meet people's expectations and demands. And I want to tell you, my dear, dear friend, do you know that the Holy Spirit never promised to empower you for that mission? The Holy Spirit is like not cooperative to that mission. You are quite on your own in that mission. Good luck with that. But the Holy Spirit is all about bringing people to Jesus. And he loves to anoint and empower and move through people who are about bringing people to Jesus. You know, this week, some of the pastors and I went up to our presbytery meetings in Northern Cal, hosted by our sister church, Christ Central Presbyterian Church in San Francisco. And some of us got together and wondered why, why, why did we not invest in Apple 30 years ago? What's wrong with us? If we only knew better, we'd be so rich. And all the tech stocks and all the leaps and bounds from 30 years ago, we wouldn't have feel like it just blew us by. It just blew us by. Hey, what's your mission? What are you really about? What defines you? What's your purpose in life? Is the mission of God just blowing you by? If the mission of God, which is for you to become his gospel witness, is blowing you by, along with that supernatural power, Purpose, meaning, joy, eternal riches is just blowing you by. My God and your God is not a used car salesman. I'm not going to give you a sales pitch. It's not like, oh, oh, poor pity to God and to this church that a lot of you are just letting it blow you by how much God needs you, how much he desperately needs you, and he begs for your services and your gifts. 
No, I think you got this backwards, my friends. How about you are missing out on the most eternal, rewarding, power, presence, joy, purpose, movement that's overtaking the whole world to the end of the earth. It's about his people having the power of the Spirit to share the gospel, to bring people to Jesus. Oh, pastor, I, I just, look, I've, I've done all my enneagrams, I've done all my personality things, and I, I just, I just, you know, I'm just not that type. I'm not going to be the one that's going to be loud and proud and bold. And uh, certainly, I don't know what you think about me. Naturally, I'm not either, actually. I, I don't know if you really believe that, but naturally, I'm just not. I'm just not that witnessing or missionary type. Can I tell you this as we close? Did you know that the early believers weren't even the believing types? They weren't the believing types. Look at Acts chapter 4 as we close right here. Acts chapter 4. They have just been threatened. Peter and John have been arrested after preaching the first Christian sermon. The church is starting to grow. Because the gospel keeps being shared and spread, like contagiously. Like people can't stop talking about Jesus has risen from the dead. And here's where we pick up in verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While we stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Boldness, boldness, boldness. Twice it's repeated. Boldness to share the word of God is the bookends of the book of Acts. Chapter 1, verse 8. And when you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses. The book of Acts ends with Apostle Paul preaching the gospel with all boldness, without hindrance. Do you get the theme? Do you understand the purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit? It's to make people bold. Bold. Well, I'm just not the bold type. Good. Naturally, you're not bold. Look at the believers. Why would anyone pray to God, please make me bold? Why would people cry out to God in prayer? Give me some bravery and courage. Because they're scared to death. They're scared to death. Mm, reputation's on the line. Livelihood's on the line. Some discomfort. Some social things might happen. You might be looked at different. Ah. But that's what the Holy Spirit will give you supernatural power for. To be my witnesses. To be my witnesses. Jesus has risen. If he hasn't risen, let's all go on with our lives. If he's risen though, how can you be about any other mission? Pray with his people if you're scared. May the Holy Spirit come down with all renewed power for his purpose, which is to have the name and the fame of Jesus reach all the way to the end of the earth. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thank you for this word. Now we come to you, Holy Spirit, to do the supernatural work upon our hearts, our attitudes, our lifestyles, our comfort zones, how we do marriage, how we parent, how we spend money. 
Oh God, would you renew us in this purpose, your mission. Grant us new power and boldness to that end. Let me just give you a couple of moments to pray with me. Would you respond with me in any way that you may need? In a couple of moments and we'll sing this song in response. Let's pray.